Let me ask you, how did you uh, deal with the events of this past week? Uh, the snow, how did, how did you perceive it? Was it a annoyance? Was it just part of life? Was it uh, something that uh, you embraced and said, hey, God gave us a break this week. I don't have to go to work or school. Yeah, woo! And somebody yelled, yeah. Now, school, maybe. Some of you, you know, I thought about this in the middle of, of the snowstorm. I was sitting there going like, you know, we've been talking about this whole thing of God wanting us to focus our, our attention on him. And I'm going, you know, God's, maybe God caused this just to make us slow down and be quiet for a while. And now, I don't know if that's good theology or not, but, and, you know, it's just a reality of that sometimes, you know, you have to be, find yourself, sometimes how we perceive the things of life um, has a lot to do with how we deal with them and how we grow through them. Today we're going to talk about, to continue this journey, we're talking about, about uh, uh, in this series called Oasis, that so often we perceive the Christian life in different ways. One of the things, some people view the Christian life as an event. Uh, you know, I, I find my need for Christ, I accept Jesus Christ, I'm in. And, you know, then we see it, well, it's done, I, I got my ticket to eternity, and that's kind of how we see it. And then when something comes along in the Christian life, because it happens to all of us, where we have some kind of place where we stumble or some kind of place where something bad happens in our life, we see it as an annoyance. We see it as an obstacle and sometimes we become confused. Another way some people see the Christian life is a battle. It's, it's always us versus them. It's kind of like uh, the spiritual warfare is everywhere. It's, it's uh, you get the enemy or the enemy gets you. And we feel like we're on this constant state of siege. Uh, that's another way to perceive the Christian life. I think the, the more biblical way and probably the, the way that many, many Christian writers over the years, Christian writers like Augustine, Teresa of Avila, I'm sure you've heard of her, you know, just well-known author, um, and other people along the way has written about it, that the Christian life is really a journey. And I don't know about you, but when I go on journeys, journeys don't always go smoothly. Journeys have bumps and they have places where we get detoured and journeys have all kind of issues in them. And so this morning we're going to talk about the Christian life. And I believe that this is the way that we perceive Christian life is really a journey. And so we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit and how we perceive that and how when we come to the place we're going to call the wall this morning, um, how we deal with that because it's part of the journey that we go through, that God takes us through. This next slide shows... Uh, a kind of a, a diagram and just one way of describing the journey that we go through. Uh, that the thing about a journey, there's these detours, these stops, these unknown, but there's, there's, this is not, you know, necessarily the only way of describing just one way at this morning, but I like the way that these authors described it. First of all, the first stage of the journey of the Christian life is that we enter into a relationship with God. Uh, that's up at the very, I think at the very top, yeah, the, the life changing awareness of God, stage one. And in doing so, we realize that we are sinners. We realize we have a need for God. And that's the first, that's the first part of the journey that we realize that. And when we, and we, we sense this need and we accept Christ. And in that first stage, uh, we have things like we're baptized and we make a directional change in our life. And for those people who think of the Christian life as just a destination, that's kind of where they stop sometimes. But the issue is that's not all there is. The Bible talks there's more about this journey that we're on. The second stage is what we call discipleship or learning or growing. 
And it's the place that once we've made that first decision to follow Christ, the stage two is, is that we start having this time of learning, of belonging, of absorbing, of learning about God and beginning this process of, of, of bringing the stuff of God into our lives to understand it more. And then in stage three, as we learn these things, we go to a stage of what we call the active life or serving. Uh, it's a time more of doing. We began to realize that God just didn't call us just to go and sit in, sit in rows or sit in circles and learn. He called us also to serve and to take the things that he calls us to. He calls us to a life of service. And we were consciously working for God in his service. And we have productive goals and we, we serve God at church and we serve God in the community and we do all these different things. We take responsibility for our actions. And this is kind of the place where most of us kind of live our Christian lives until something happens in our life that it's going to happen to all of us in large ways or small ways. And then we have this thing that's there is this big red line up there called the wall. The wall. What in the world is the wall? I've never heard of the wall. The wall is something that happens in our lives that, that when we get to the wall, what happens is it's, it strikes us to the core of who we are. It's something that shatters us and makes us begin to question God. The question that, you know, does all these spiritual disciplines, you know, does my prayer time and does my Bible reading and going to church, does it work anymore? Because I'm going through this struggle and this is not just a little bump in the road. It's not like a bad thing happened to me today. This is a period of time in our life when something traumatic happens in our life, which causes us to, to really begin to question God. And, and it's honest to do that, folks. It's all right to question God. He wants us to, to deal with this in a real way, not just to, he wants us to go through this transitional stage. And the problem is for many of us though, is we get to the wall and we kind of bounce off the wall and we don't really get over the wall or go through the wall. We kind of stay there. We get stuck. And we go back and we serve and we study and we still go to church maybe and we still pray, but there's no, we, we do it for all the wrong reasons. We just do it out of, out of, not of a relationship, building a deeper relationship with God. We do it simply because because of something we feel like we need to do. And if I do it more and more and more, then, you know, I'll get through this wall. Well, the issue is, is that God wants to teach us something at the wall. We're going to talk about the day. And then there's some other stages. If we get through the wall, though, I want to tell you something, some good news. When we get through the wall and work our way through the wall, God works with us through the wall. And this is a very uh, tough stage. What happens is stage four is a journey inward. We begin to reflect and ask ourselves some hard questions about who we are. You know, do I just simply believe because my parents believed? Or am I going through the motions? Do I serve? And do I serve because I want to feel good? We question our motives. We question all these things. And the wall makes us question those things in a good way. And we begin this inward, this journey inward. And in stages five and six, as we kind of start doing some of the things we were done before, stage five, in a real sense, is this uh, journey outward again. This, uh, uh, but we serve in a different way. We do these things in a different way. We don't serve because of we want to feel good. We serve because we love God. We have this deep desire to serve out of a different reason. It changes our motives. And then eventually we're transformed into God's love because God. we began to realize that the, what we do everything for is not so we feel good or so we can just, you know, we, because we ought to. We do it because we love God. And that's where God wants to take us. We say, because we're going back to the very basic commandment. Love God. Love God and love others. And we can do that sometimes or act like we love God and love others, but we can do it for the wrong reasons. Our motives are just as important as our actions. Maybe sometimes more important. And so God wants to take us through the wall to help us to understand 
some things about him and some things about ourselves, so we can grow and become who God wants us to be. Now, I appreciate people in our church being transparent. And this morning we have a little video of a testimony done by one of the young ladies in our church that kind of went through this wall. The wall can be a different thing for a lot of different folks. We're going to talk about that. Let's watch this testimony right now about the wall. getting the phone call at work thinking what he, he quit breathing why 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 did he quit breathing and then getting to the hospital and the doctor's telling me that he was gone that i couldn't do anything about it and that's when jason and i my first husband we became closer was a, a common bond that we had together and and we tried to make things work and it just seemed like a few months later or a year later things just weren't the way they, they should be and and our marriage started to go and and after fighting and after trying and working things out and it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't working. And I remember standing in the shower and just questioning God, like, why, why God, why are, why are you doing this to me? Why are you taking away children? Why are you making a marriage fall? What did I do to deserve all of this? In 2007, our marriage was finally a divorce. It's not something that you can be proud of. You didn't think it was going to happen to you. And you felt like you were a failure. started to attend Great Oaks and it seemed that every time I came to church I would hear Pastor Bill speak and it was like somebody was just talking straight to me and I remember one time listening to the song I Praise You in the Storm and I remember just in tears crying and I just realized then that God is there and he's been there the whole time through all of that and my many, many pairs of, of new hope and new family and I have now received a great new husband and with him came two wonderful children. What more 
what more can I you ask for? I mean, God, God gave me more than I ever expected. Appreciate Stephanie sharing that with us. I'm sure it's not easy to share stuff like that. Um, the wall. I really believe scripturally, and I know from personal experience, that the wall that we encounter in our life, not always the same for each person, is necessary if we're to develop a deep, mature relationship with God. I used to thought it was think it was optional. I'm not really sure it's optional. Um, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that happens in our lives, the divorce, a failed marriage, betrayal, a job loss, the loss of uh, the death of a close friend or family member, um, cancer diagnosis, this disillusioning church experience, uh, deep depression, a shattered dream, wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled. Uh, all those things can be things that, that help us to go through the wall. It's not just the, the little ups and downs of life. It's the long period of things that happens in our lives. And, um, and what we sense in the wall while we're going through it is a dryness or a lack of closeness in a relationship with God. This is for folks of you. Those of you who are young in the Christian faith, you haven't experienced it yet, this is for future reference, okay? But many of us here have been through walls. I've been through some walls in my life as well. And, and when we do that, we begin to question ourselves, we begin to question God, the church, all those things, and we discover for the first time that many of the things that we've done in the past that, that give us kind of joy in the Christian life really don't work too well. And the reason it's so important to recognize this this morning is that I believe, and many uh, Christian psychologists believe, that 85% of all Christians really never make it through the wall. They get kind of stuck. And because of their, the Christian life becomes kind of, a, kind of a shallow thing, it really never goes beyond, gets to the depth and a depth of love and relationship that God wants us to have. And so we're going to talk about this morning so we can recognize where we are with this and what God says to us. And one of the greatest examples of all persons in Scripture um, that, uh, that, and in regards to the wall is a guy in the Old Testament, his name was Abraham. Probably heard of Abraham before. If you read several chapters, uh, beginning with chapter about 12 in Genesis and go through uh, the, the remainder of Genesis, we see a lot of things about Abraham. But if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me uh, to, Abraham, uh, to Abraham, to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, which uh, deals with this uh, kind of a concluding part of this, this whole thing with, with Abraham. And, and, and I want to share a little bit about his story and about how it teaches us some things about the wall and uh, give you this biblical example this morning and talk about some things that God wants to do as we, he takes us through the wall. Not just to the wall, but through the wall, because he wants us to get through it, to work, to work our way through that wall. And, and Abraham did this. Uh, in Genesis 22, we read the first 15 verses says, that Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering as one of the on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, what a strange thing for God to tell a guy. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. And talk. This is not the first. Would that be a wall for you if God told you to go and take your son, your only son and sacrifice him as a burnt offering? Pretty radical. But this was not the first time that uh, Abraham had encountered a wall. Matter of fact, over in Genesis 12, he's told by God to leave his country, the place where he grew up, 
where he had all his family, all his connections, and he says, I want you to go into a place I'm going to show you. He doesn't say, even tell him exactly where it's going to be. He said, I want you to take and start going in this direction. And so the first wall he encounters is trusting God for direction in life generally. And so he does that. And during this time, he goes through famines. Uh, And during this time as well, God had promised him that he would be the father of nations, which means you got to have kids. And there was infertility in his family with his wife, Sarah. They were unable to have children. And there was tension with his, with his, uh, with his brother Lot. And, and you go through all these things. These things are going on in his life. And we see these, this, this period of just really rampant, just all kind of horrible things going on in Abraham's life. And then we come, and he finally, okay, when he was 75, he's told to leave his country. He's 99 years old, almost 100 years old, and God comes back to him and says, I'm going to give you a child, and, and his name will be Isaac, and so forth and so on. And then we read chapter 22, which is probably 10 or 12 years later. And, and now he has the son who's, who's the promise from God. And God tells him, he said, I, I, uh, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice him. And if we read the rest of the story this morning, this biblical story, and I'd encourage you to read the rest of the story, we know that God, that was, in a sense, it says that God was testing him. He was taking him through a time. Uh, it was, I would call it the wall. Where he comes to a place and he has to make a decision. And this is the decision that we have to make at the wall. The primary issue of the wall is this. Am I going to do my will or am I going to do God's will? And you're going like, well, you know, when I accepted Christ, you know, that I was making that choice. I was going to do it God's way. But let me ask you a really hard question. This is where you have to examine yourself at the wall. Did Even though you may have meant that, did you give everything, every decision over to God when you first accepted Christ? No, the, the Christian life is a journey. It's a process. We make a decision to follow God in such a way that we begin the journey there. But during the journey, God wants to take us to a place. He wants to take us to a deeper level of trust in him. And when we read the next few verses and it says and it says there, you know, that that when he got the next morning, he tells him God tells him to take Abraham to take his son, Isaac, this young son. And and it's a sacrifice. And I'm kind of surprised at his response. Abraham's response is not like, I don't know about you, but if God told me to do something like that, I would start questioning God. God, did I hear you right? God, do you really want me to do this? And Abraham doesn't do any of that thing. He says early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Normal day. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he said cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place. God had told him about it on the third day. I mean, they're going a long way. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we'll come back to you. Do you notice one thing that's missing here? Okay. God's told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. He never had a conversation with his wife, Sarah. Now think about the trouble he's going to be when he gets home. But the issue is, you know, the issue is here is he takes him to this place. And in a real sense, Abraham never never questions God or it's not shown in Scripture. I think it would have been shown if he did. The reason I think that's true is because Abraham had been walking with God closely for 25 years. He had already encountered other walls along the way, trusting God to leave his country, trusting God through this. I mean, he tried. He and his wife, Sarah, decided to take matters into their own hand with the infertility issue and have a baby. You can read that, too, by by the by Hagar, the maid. And that didn't work out too well. 
So that's what happens when we, that's another whole sermon. Um, but you know, that, that whole thing there when we try to take things into our own hands. But the issue is, the primary issue of the wall, and when God takes us to the wall through this time, and you heard Stephanie, I think, say this as well, is that when God takes us through that, we question God. It's all right. God's big enough to handle it. But the issue is, is how are we going to deal with it? Are we going to go through the wall? And are we going to allow, learn to trust God more deeply in that hard time? Or are we going to kind of stay where we are, bounce off, and just kind of like, just keep repeating the religious rituals we've gone through in the past and never learn anything? See, God loves us. And His goal is for us to love Him in a deep and passionate way. He wants us to trust in Him. And He wants us to have this, this, this transformed life in such a way that, that it excludes everything that's contrary to God's will. He wants to do that in our life. And sometimes we have to have purging in our life for that to happen. And I can tell you from past experience myself, you know, I, I knew all the theological answers, but sometimes the reality is that you have to learn to trust God through the d- deep times of life. See, at the wall, I relinquish what, relinquish what I cling to uh, that bring, gives me my identity, that which holds me back from intimacy with God. It's things like my job. Things like, like intellect, like control, like addictions, like gifts and talents, family, pride, recognition by other people, doing good, expectations of God. We have all these things in our life that, that hold us back from a real relationship with God, the, the relationship that he wants us to go through. Let me share with you this the strangest thing. One of my favorite all-time devotional writers is a 16th century Carmelite monk. You're going like, what? What's a Carm- I don't know what a Carmelite monk is either. That's just what he was. But when I was going through a few years ago, going through a wall where I'd gone through this dryness, where I was questioning whether even God wanted me to be in ministry anymore in the direction of life, I found this, this writing. And it was written by a guy named John of the Cross. A really good name. And it's called, though, The Dark Night of the Soul. And The Dark Night of the Soul is, is, is a classic devotional thing. Most people don't read it because it's not easy. Let me tell you, it's not easy to read. The thing is, I got the condensed version of it from, from a devotional uh, classic uh, book that I had. And John of the Cross wrote this. He said, you know, when we go through, God wants to purge us of certain things. He wants to go through. And when he takes us through this, and in this cleansing process, refining process, what he does is he begins to look at, uh, wants us to look at certain things of our life. He wants to root out certain things in our life that cause us issues not to be close to God. He has this purging process. And this next little slide talks about that in a real sense. This next slide talks about these are the seven things. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah, seven. It's seven things that he says that we need to go, that God begins to purge in our life. I would encourage you, if you want to go somewhere and struggle with something deep and profound and you're going through a deep, a deep dark time, this is a great place to turn. I'll give you a copy of it if you need it. But he says there's seven areas, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because I want to talk about the last few minutes this morning about the important things of what God wants to accomplish through the wall. But he says that when God takes us through this dark time, this what he calls the dark night of the soul, And this is for believers. This is not for non-believers. This is for believers. The first thing he wants to deal with is our pride. The pride that... You know how pride comes out in us? We condemn others. We're so easy to look down on other people. 
Look at Luke 18 about the Pharisees. We, we look for approval of others. We're impatient with people when they mess up. You know, that's, those are all signs of pride. I don't know if you could read all those. Can you read all those? Pride, read, okay. But we have the, those things. And that's the first thing God wants to root out of us during this dark night. He begins to ask the, we begin to ask the question, now I'm a prideful person. And I had to ask, ask that question as well. You know, was I judgmental of people because they were different than me? Greed. Greed was another area. He uses some words. He wrote in the 16th century, by the way. He died in like 1590. But the issue was greed. He says, one of the things that so often we get rooted into in a Christian life is we have, we are discontent with the spirituality that God gives us. We begin to, uh, we learn and we listen, but we're never, we are never satisfied with God. We're never satisfied with now. Doesn't mean we, we shouldn't grow, but are you just satisfied with where God is? Take, where are you at now? What God is doing in your life now? Are you always driven something else? We have this greed in our life. A spiritual, he calls it spiritual greed. Luxury. He says another thing that so often in life wants to root out of us during this dark time is this, this luxury. He calls it luxury. And I thought it was interesting the way he described it. He said it's this pleasure in spiritual blessings where we have more pleasure in spiritual blessings of God more, more pleasure in that than, than of God himself. We like what God gives us, what God does for us, how it makes us feel. I mean, I've been, you know, we go to Bible study after Bible study. We learn something. We go, oh, this is so great, God. But, but we don't have a relationship with God, the God of the Scripture. And then he talks about, he said, another thing God wants to root out of us is wrath. He said, it's, it's this, how many of you are easily irritated? I found this to be true, and my staff can tell you this, man. I, I, I used to be much more patient. I don't know what it is about. I feel like as I'm getting older, I am much more easily irritated. I have no patience with people anymore. And I've just prayed God to root that out of me, you know. But the thing is, is that, you know, that's one of the things God wants to root out of us, that we are patient, that we are not easily irritated. He says another thing that God wants us to root out of us is what he calls spiritual gluttony. Uh, we don't want the cross. We want, we want the good things of God, but we don't want to bear the cross of God, the tough things of God. And so what we do is we, we run away from, we run away from the things that are, that are tough. Another he talks about is spiritual envy. He says, spiritual envy is this, that we're unhappy when others do things well spiritually. We're kind of jealous. Of them getting ahead with God and doing, I mean, do you rejoice with those who rejoice, or do you got to get envious of those who God's working in their life quicker than He's working in your life? It's a hard question to ask yourself. Sometimes we don't like the answer. And finally, He calls it sloth. You know, I thought that was a two-toed animal. Um, sloth is sloth is this. Now He says is this: We run from that which is hard. We seek to get. Uh, he is seeking to get you to lose your love for things of the world. God wants us to, we run from things that are hard. We don't want to do the hard work that it takes to grow up. We just want it easy. We want quick fixes. That's what sloth is, he says. Now, if you want to read deep, more deeper, I mention this because this helped me so much, this personal journey, so much through the dark night of my soul, through the, through the wall that I, the walls, a couple times I've gone through walls in my life. I mean, long-term walls, two and three and four-year walls. This helped me to, to reflect upon this and ask myself some hard questions. 
But the thing I want to uh, finish with today is this. I want to talk about when you come to a wall, what does God want to teach us through the wall? What does he want to do in your life and my life in the wall? Four things real quickly this morning. Number one is this. I think he wants to give us, he wants to bring us to a greater level of brokenness. A greater, remember, remember when we studied in the the fall, those of you who are here, uh, the Beatitudes, what was the very first Beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. See, when we come before the wall, one of the things that God says to us, this is one of Jesus' very first, first organized teachings here that we read. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's using this word to describe a beggar who has nothing in his, in his life. And he wants to bring us to a place before we can really have a relationship with him. He has to remove that pride, that issue, that self, self-love that we have that it's all about us. So we can allow God to work in our life. You know, one of the ways that I... I didn't like this too much when I read this. But a way to measure your level of brokenness. Let me give you a measurement of how you can know how broken you are. How offendable are you? And that's not a word, by the way, in the dictionary. How offendable are you? Are you easily offended? The more easily offended you are, the less broken you are. If people could just, I mean, I love, I love the quote from St. Francis of Assisi. He says this, blessed is he who expects nothing for he shall enjoy everything. Blessed is he who expects nothing for he shall enjoy everything. Man, if, if, if you're easily ticked off, that's why I have to root out my problems now too. If you're really easily ticked off or, or, or offended by people or, or whatever, it probably means you're not very broken. See, God, through the darkness of the dark night of the soul, through the darkness of the wall, what he does is he wants to help us to root out a level. He wants to take us to a greater level of brokenness. The second thing he wants to do as well is he wants to give us a greater appreciation for the mystery of God. A greater appreciation for the mystery of God. I don't know about you, but let me tell you about me, okay? This has nothing to do with you, so hopefully hopefully you're not like me, but I have a feeling you are in this area. I like control. You like control? Nah, you don't like control. You know, I like to know what God is doing, exactly where he's, what he's doing, the exact root of where we're going. You know, I like God, or I've always said many times, I wish God would write on the wall in a finger the next step for my life. So I know what it is. You know, God, show me exactly where it is. I like control because that means I can know exactly what it is. I don't have to trust it all. I just have, you know, it's direct. If you know it, there's no, there's no faith involved, right? You just trust. I mean, you just, just do it. You see, I also do this <laughs> in prayers or in other ways. I like to remind God sometime of his need to behave in certain ways. You ever done that? Nah. Yes, you do. You know, God, would you bless this and do this? This is what I expect from you, God, right? I, you know, I sometimes I like to remind God of his need to behave in ways that fit in with my clear ideas of who he is. See, God wants us to have a greater appreciation for the mystery of God. Augustine wrote this a long time ago. He said this, if you understand, it is not God you understand. Because while scripture reveals a lot about God, man, this is like, this is like me going outside and taking one grain of snow and say, this is, this is God. 
and put it on the mountain out there in the parking lot. And that's not even close to the, the, who God is. It's imp- you know, so we want to know God. We want to know everything about him. Not so we can have more faith. Simply because we want to control. We want to have control of life. Let's just be honest. And I think one of the things that happens in our life when we go through these dark night of the soul, when we go through these walls, when we take come to this place, is God wants us to have a greater appreciation for the mystery of God. I love the story that's told in the book. Um, and I will be finished in a couple minutes. I know we're getting running a couple minutes late this morning. Um, the, the, the book, the emotionally, let's see, emotionally healthy spirituality. That's what the name of the book is. Um, in the book, it tells this story, and I love the story. It says there was an old there was an old story about a wise man living on one of China's vast frontiers. One day, for no apparent reason, a young man, his sons, a young man's horse ran away and was taken by the nomads across the border. Everyone tried to offer consolation for the man's bad fortune, but his father, a wise man, said, "What makes you so sure this is not a blessing?" Months later, his horse returned, bringing with her a magnificent stallion. This time, everybody was full of congratulations for the son's good fortune. But his father said, what makes you so sure this is not a disaster? Their household was made richer by this fine horse the son loved to ride. But one day, he fell off his horse and broke his hip. Once again, everybody offered their consolation for his bad luck. But his father said, what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? A year later, nomads invaded across the border, and every able-bodied man was required to take up his bow and go into battle. The Chinese families living on the border lost nine of every ten men in their families. Only because the son was lame did the father and son survive to take care of each other. See, much of who God is is a mystery. And God wants us to gain a greater appreciation for the mystery of God. It's all right to trust in God, even if we don't know the answer. And the dark night will take us through that. A third thing is this. God wants us to have a deeper ability to wait for God. Just to wait for God. You know, um, an outgrowth of greater brokenness and, and this way and wholly unknowing is a greater capacity to wait upon God. Going through the wall breaks something deep within us that all our driving and our grasping and our fearful self-will will never produce. And, and I want to tell you, I have to be honest, that if I were to identify the, my greatest sins and errors of judgment in the last 40 years of being a Christian, it was probably my failure to wait upon God and wait for His timing. I mean, God's timing is totally different than mine and yours. You know, Abraham, as we shared, learned to wait at the wall. At 75 years, he was told he was going to be the father of great nations. God fulfilled his promise. It took 25 years. In the midst of that 25 years, he, you know, made some wrong errors. He didn't wait. Moses learned to wait at the wall. Moses, after murdering a man and failing to deliver to the, uh, and deliver the Israelites, he spent the next 40 years learning to wait on God in the desert. And became a meek, one of the meekest man's of, men of all time. David learned to wait at the wall. David in the Old Testament, after a stunning victory over Goliath, one of the greatest stories in, in, the, in, in biblical history, he was forced to flee from Saul for the next 10 to 13 years of his life. And during that time, God worked in his life in a miraculous way. He waited upon God and God's provision in his life. God wants to tell, help us to get to the place to where we learn to wait up in on a better way. And finally this, and I, and I like this last one, 
it's this. God wants us in a real way. He wants to teach us through the wall a greater detachment. A greater detachment from the stuff of life. See, the critical issue of our journey with God is not, am I happy? That's not the issue. The issue is, am I free? Am I free to follow God? Am I free? Or do I, do I have so many attachments to things in life that they cause me to weigh me down and pull me away from my relationship with God? You know, nothing will help you to sit down and ask yourself the question, what is it that I really need in life to live life fully than a dark time? You know, we go through life and we think we need all this stuff. I mean, I I would ask you this this morning. If you could sit down and write down a list of things that are absolutely essential to live life fully, what would they be? And I have a feeling that a lot of the stuff that we have and a lot of attachments that we have would would not be on the list. And sometimes we don't slow down and take note of those until we hit the wall. You see, the wall, more than anything else, cuts off our attachments. Because remember, God's purpose for us is to have a loving relationship with Him. So I ask you this morning, what's your next step? Where are you? Pull up the next slide. Going back to where we are, where are you in this in this stages of life? Or are, are you, you know, just becoming aware of where you are with God? Or are you beginning to grow in your relationship with Him? Are you serving? Have you hit the wall? Are you stuck kind of there? Have you been through the wall? And because of that, are you uh, going? And, have you gone through this journey inward where you begin to ask yourself some hard questions? And because of that, it's it's reshaped the right, the way, the motivations of why you do things. All of us have a next step with God. And the the Christian life is a journey. It's not about arriving at a point and saying, oh, yeah, I accept Christ. That's all there is to it. It's much more than that. God is growing us up. He's making us who we are. I love, we're going to close the service this morning by singing an old hymn. Some of you love it. Some of you are going like, I don't even know any old hymns. I didn't grow up in church, so, you know, I don't know. But one of my favorite old hymns is is a song written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a guy who was, he hit the wall multitudes of times in his life. Matter of fact, he was in uh, 1871. Uh, the first wall he hit was he had the death of a child at age uh, of his son who was four years old. After dealing with that, just a couple of years later, he lived in Chicago. And right, right after that, the great Chicago fire came along. It wiped him out um, from a uh, financial standpoint for a number of years. He went through that. He was a Christian during his time. He was trying to struggle with some of the things in his life. And then a few years later, after, after all that, and many, many years later, after all that, as he, his, he had more kids and his family was growing up, he decided to go to Europe for a while and take his family to Europe. But right before he was going to go, he couldn't go. And so he sent his wife and his four, four daughters on ahead on, on a boat. This was back in the early 1900s. And when he did so, what happened was, is on the bo- as the boat was going across the Atlantic Ocean, true story, the boat ran into another boat and sunk. And, all, and four, all four of his daughters were killed, died. And, and his wife sends him a cable from the other side of the Atlantic saying, saying this. She was the only one that survived. And she wrote this two-word 
uh, cable saved alone. And so Horatio decided to go across the Atlantic Ocean on another ship to, to, to reach out to his grieving wife. And as he was traveling across the Atlantic Ocean on this ship, he came to the place that was near to where this other ship had sunk and his daughters had died. And in the midst of that, in the midst of all this darkness that had gone on in his life, he felt inspired to write what has become one of the most beloved hymns of all time. It is well. And I thought it was no more perfect thing this morning as a transition from this time to think about this than what we're going to talk about next week because we're going to talk about one of the very specific walls that we encounter and how do we deal with that in a biblical way. And that's the whole, law, the, the whole area of grief and loss. And this morning we're going to sing this closing song called It Is Well. Let's pray and then we're going to sing this song as our closing this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.